Oh, what an hour sweet when bride and bridegroom meet. I mentioned last night that Friday night in San Francisco and tonight here in South San Francisco, I'm actually giving one message in two parts. Yet, each message in practicality is complete in itself. And the the subject of this two-part message is this. Living for God's eternal purpose and being saved from the crooked and perverted generation. So I will review the essential points from last night so we're all uh, clear about the emphasis. We know from Revelation 4.11 that all things positive in the whole universe exist because of God's will. That verse says, because of God's will, they were created. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 1.9 that the mystery of God's will has been revealed. God's will is what he wants. He wants something so earnestly that he created this universe and eventually the earth and all of us because he wants something. With God's will, there is God's good pleasure, the desire of his heart. And based upon God's will with his heart's desire, he made in Christ his eternal purpose. That's mentioned in Ephesians 3.17. An eternal purpose, meaning it was planned in eternity past, before there was space-time, before there was anything. And its consummation will stand ever new for eternity in the future. Literally, the Greek word translated eternal as the modifier of purpose is of the ages, the purpose of the ages. So it's accurate to say this is eternal. But the word indicates that what is eternal in past and in future will be carried out in time on the earth in a sequence of ages, or we may call them dispensations, periods of time in which God is endeavoring to carry out a certain aspect of his purpose. Then based upon God's eternal purpose, he formed his economy, which is his plan and arrangement to dispense himself into us in Christ as the spirit 
to be our life, our life supply, and our everything. Now we can define what God's eternal purpose is. God's eternal purpose is to produce and build up the church as the organic body of Christ, to be the corporate expression of Christ, consummating in the new Jerusalem as the wife of the redeeming God. So God's eternal purpose formed in eternity is to have on the earth in this age and in the new heaven and the new earth in eternity a corporate expression of people he created in his image, redeemed, regenerated, transformed, and built up. This is God's purpose. In 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul tells us very clearly that God saved us according to his own purpose. Probably none of us here tonight, when we were saved, realized at that moment why the Lord came to us based on his death on the cross and his triumphant resurrection, why he came to us through someone sharing the gospel with us so that we would be saved. From our point of view, it's not wrong, but from our point of view, it might be we're saved from eternal perdition, we're saved from judgment, our sins are forgiven, we have eternal life. That is wonderfully true. But from God's point of view, all of that was a procedure. His reason for saving us was to bring us personally into his eternal purpose. And I don't know of any other realm on the earth where this truth is properly proclaimed to God's people. It's very clear. We were saved by God for his own purpose. Then if from the point that we first believed in the Lord and were baptized into him, and the point at which our journey ends, if we are not living for the purpose for which we were saved, in the sight of God, our Christian life is for the most part meaningless. He saved us for one purpose, and we are living for some other purpose, mainly because of not knowing the Lord understands this. And many will be able to say to the Lord, according to Luke 12, Lord, we didn't know your will. Our pastors, our professors never taught us. And he can say, yes, you didn't know. So during the age of the kingdom, the discipline in your case will be less. But those who did know, who did know God's will, who did know God's purpose, but disregarded it, they cannot plead ignorance. They have no ground to say anything. 
the, the emphasis in the vast majority of sermons, TV programs, books written by very dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, their emphasis is on the human side. You look, you look at, you go to Amazon Books, put in Will of God, see how many hundreds of books will come up, all focus on me, on you. Where is the book which says the will of God for God, God's eternal purpose? So the Lord needs a recovery of this truth and of the working out of this truth. Paul, who said we were saved for God's own purpose, went on to point out to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, many have forsaken me, and the religious age will become degraded. But you, Timothy, have closely followed my teaching. Then he mentions my purpose. You closely followed my purpose. In 2 Timothy 1.9, it's God's own purpose. In chapter 3, perhaps verse 10, it is my purpose. These are not two purposes. God's purpose became Paul's purpose. It became Paul's reason for living. It became the driving factor. It was his goal. From the time he met the Lord until he was martyred, he poured out his being to live and minister for God's purpose. Then we pointed out that in 1 Timothy 1.16, we read that Paul received mercy to become a pattern for everyone who would believe in the Lord. So the Lord Jesus is the prototype who is being reproduced in us who are becoming the many sons of God. But the Lord Jesus is a God-man, the complete God and a perfect man in one person, but he was without sin and he was God. So we might reason with God and say, we don't have this advantage. We have sin in the flesh we are sin in the flesh. Our body is a body of sin, and we're not God. So how about you go easy with us and don't require us to live such a life? Well, he chose this great sinner, had mercy on him, and made him a pattern of a great sinner who can be so gained by the God of purpose that he would make God's purpose his purpose and live for God's purpose, then how then did Paul live? He had a vision that came to him instantaneously, all of a sudden, in a light brighter than the sun. For us, the vision comes little by little with three aspects. The veil is lifted, the divine light shines, and the eyes of our heart are enlightened. So there may be exceptions. I haven't met any. I don't know any, but 
God is not limited. We are seeing this heavenly vision gradually. We're all in the same situation. So perhaps tonight the veil will be lifted a little more. The light will shine more into our being. And the eyes of our heart will be enlightened to see more concerning the vision of God's eternal purpose. Then Paul realized that God created human beings as vessels. Even the Hebrew verb for form in Genesis 2, God formed man from the dust of the ground, that verb denotes the work of a potter forming a vessel. And even though though our vessels differ quite much, any one of us can stand in front of a full-length mirror and realize, yes, you do look like a bottle. Right? The opening is at the top. We are all bottles. We are all vessels. And what a vessel should do should simply be wide open to the triune God who wants to dispense himself into us all the time, saturating us, permeating us, Christifying us, making us the reproduction of Christ. Paul lived this way as an open vessel. Then regarding the corporate side, the church that he was trying to destroy and the saints he was wanting to murder. He voted for the death penalty frequently. He was breathing out murder, Acts tells us. Now he was so gained by the Lord that he loves the church, he loves the saints, and he mentions something quite touching related to this in Philippians chapter 2, where he said, I long to be with you, I long to see you. But Paul was in prison. So he said, I sent, I sent Timothy to you that I may know how things are with you. Then he mentioned, I have no one like-souled with me who genuinely cares for what concerns you. Then he went on to say, for all seek their own things, not the things of Christ Jesus. What can happen, what has happened, And what is happening in various ways in the long term for saints in the church life, as their human life becomes more complicated, inwardly and outwardly, you're not just a young person, single, no family, full of zeal, Now you're a young adult, eventually you're in middle age, you have a family, you have responsibilities, you have financial burdens, you have health issues, you go through a certain crisis, perhaps in middle age, I'm past, I saw one poster that's talked about going down the other side of the hill, I didn't even know there was a hill, And I don't know when I went up the first side at all. Now you're telling me I'm on the downside of the hill. And what can happen is subtly, 
we care for our own things more than we care for the things of Christ Jesus. And Brother Lee has a brief note on that verse in Philippians 2, the things of Christ Jesus are the churches with all the saints. Now, to be responsible for our, the human aspects of our life is required by God. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 5, if a man does not work to support his own household, he's worse than an unbeliever. He instructs the church how to take care of widows. In Titus, he, he, he speaks to the older sisters. Tell them you need to teach the younger sisters to love their husbands and to love their children. We are in a very practical church life. And in, in order to live such a church life, we need to live as normal a human life as possible. We have to work to take care of our families, all kinds of things. But what can happen while we're still in the church is we care for our own things more than the things of Christ Jesus. I do, there's something, this is an instance, that I have observed for the 52 years I've been in the church life. First time in 1966. And I saw and I came across this undercurrent among many saints. And at that time, there was a person you've never heard of, Adele Davis. Adele Davis from the 60s. And the other undercurrent was health matters, diet matters, this kind of food, that kind of food. It's not that. Before the Lord, you decide to be this kind of, have this kind of diet. You take care of your health in this way. That's a personal matter. But I have met saints that are more zealous for propagating supplements and organic products than they are the gospel of the kingdom of God. If they were as burdened for the gospel as they are for vitamins... <laughs> They would bring a lot of people to the Lord. And so we want to take Paul's pattern in this way that he has the vision. He's living as a vessel open to the Lord. He's praying for Christ to work himself into his being. Then toward the church, he will pour himself out and care for the things of Christ Jesus. Now, we may have to make a turn to the second part of the message or the second message, however you want to look at it. We will not be able to actually live for God's purpose if we are, in our being, part of this present, evil, crooked generation. If we are indistinguishable in our values, in our views, in our standards, in the truth from this generation, we will in fact be a part of this generation. And we will see later when the judgment comes, 
although we are eternally saved, we will perish with this generation, with this age. So we need now to consider the matter of the need to be saved from the present evil age while we're living in it. We're not going to withdraw from it. We're not going to be monks and nuns. We're not going to hew out our huge cave and withdraw. We have to live our normal human life in the world, but not of the world. So first we need to consider this matter, this word age. I mentioned the eternal purpose is the purpose of the ages. And our understanding of the scripture is that there are four main ages from God's perspective from the time of creation until the end of the kingdom and the coming of the new Jerusalem. So we have the age before the law. The age of the patriarchs up until the time that the law was given. When Moses was on Mount Sinai and received the covenant, the age changed. The Lord accomplished what he intended in the age before the law. And now he initiated a new age, the age of the law. And that continued until John the Baptist came as a transitional figure, as the bridge, proclaiming repentance for the kingdom and opening the way for the Lord. And when the Lord came, as we read in Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then he preached the gospel, he preached the gospel of the kingdom from the time he came until the end of the, this age is the age of the church. It's also called the age of grace. A third designation for this age is the age of mystery. In Revelation chapter 10, it might be around verse 7, the proclamation is made. The mystery of God has been completed. So we are living in a certain age which started 2,000 years ago. And because it's an age, it will have an end. So in Matthew 24, the disciples, three of them, asked the Lord a question. Please tell us the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Then he instructed them, as what is recorded in those chapters, which will not occupy us tonight. But at the end of Matthew, he said something precious to us. After he gave the commission to disciple the nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, he said, I am with you all the days, even unto the consummation of the age. So there's such a thing as the consummation of the age. 
the end of the church age. What is that precisely? In order to know what will be the end of this age, we need to have a basic understanding of the 70 weeks mentioned in Daniel chapter 9. And 69 of these weeks, each week is a period of seven years. The 69 were completed at the time of the Lord's crucifixion. This present age is a gap between that period of time and the last seven years. What will happen? It could happen any time. But probably something else, as I'll mention, will happen first. Sooner or later, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem will be cleared of the mosque and of the other structure that's there. For years in Jerusalem, the Temple Institute people have been working on preparing everything needed for the temple worship. They have the garments, they have the incense, they have the anointing, the ointment, so many things. The most challenging thing is to get a red heifer because a heifer is a heifer only for a year, but somehow they will do it. Just as in 1948, at a climactic time, the state of Israel was reestablished. And recently in my reading, and I pointed this out to my wife in Jeremiah, the Lord is talking about this land, he said, which I have given to you eternally. Then in 1967, some of us have vivid memories of June 1967 in that six-day war when the city of Jerusalem was restored to the nation of Israel. And a sidebar, this is not political. My interest is God's economy. It's not a small thing that the present occupant of the Oval Office, whatever you think of him as a person or a politician, it's not a small thing that he did what others said they would do and what the Senate voted to do that is, transfer the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And you check with, the, with Netanyahu, what he's put online. They consider our president a Cyrus. This is their view. So who knows what might happen? You might wake up tomorrow morning or Monday morning or turn on... Whatever news, true or fake, on Monday night when you come home from work and you read Hamas send a flurry of rockets into Jerusalem. Two stray rockets struck the Temple Mount. The mosque has blown up. The other building is gone. Orthodox Jews are swarming on the Temple Mount. This is going to happen. Because in 2 Thessalonians 2, we're told the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, will sit 
in the temple and make himself an object of worship. That is the abomination of desolation spoken of in Daniel and in Matthew and Luke. When you see that happen, you flee. So any time now, the Lord can readily reconfigure the world situation. It's a challenge for him to build up the body of Christ and to prepare the bride. That takes time. But he can reshape the world situation in an hour. And that will happen. And Israel will then declare, we will rebuild the temple. And some years ago, in a number of trips to Israel, I took my younger son. He asked me to take him on a trip. I wondered where to take him. I said, I'll take him to Israel. And we went to the Temple Institute. And a young woman there fulfilled her obligation to the military to render some civilian service. So she served in the Temple Institute. And then when her time was up, she asked the rabbi to bless her because she was going to do some other kind of work. And the rabbi asked her, do you not care for the rebuilding of the temple? She said, yes. Then he said to her, then why don't you live for it? And she was there testifying to us. She and her husband, and many like her, are living for this. Now, it's very likely that that is the second or the third most holy site to Islam depending how you look at it. When that site is cleared, and Israel is about to take action, the Arab countries, they may be all united, but there will be in Europe a powerful leader supported by a powerful army, and it is prophesied Israel will make a covenant with a European leader, and somehow that person will be so capable and the forces at his disposal will be so formidable that he will preside over the building of the temple. When that agreement is signed, the 70th week of Daniel begins. Seven years. So we can know from this point on the year of the Lord's coming. During the first three and a half years, the temple will be built. But then this European leader will be assassinated and resuscitated, imitating the resurrection of Christ. Then he will be manifested as the Antichrist. And he will begin an even worse Holocaust, to annihilate all the Jews. He will place himself in the temple to be worshipped. Those who do not worship, whether they're the believers who are not mature enough to be raptured, they will be martyred. Just before that happens is when the living overcomers will be raptured. So any of us and I would hope all of us, the Lord would preserve us 
Wouldn't you like to end your course raptured among the first fruits directly to the Lord? Then we're going to see this happen. Just as I remember I was a boy when Israel was formed. I was teaching high school in Los Angeles when Jerusalem was recovered. It's going to happen. And then once the covenant is agreement, we all have three and a half years left to determine whether or not we will be among the first fruits. Because those, the second of those the second three and a half weeks, that's the consummation of the age. The consummation of the age is the last three and a half years of this age, the second half of the 70th week. And the Lord said, I will be with you until the consummation of the age. And so the age is the present aspect of the world system in which we're living. And there are some crucial verses that we should be familiar with concerning the age, and then we can go on to consider the generation, and then we will end with the unique way of being saved from this generation. And the way of being saved from this generation is what will bring us out of this age into the age of the kingdom as victors and overcomers. And the minister of the age, governed by the vision of the age, through the ministry of the age, has made crystal clear in his writings what will be the way for us to be saved from this generation and at the same time be brought into the kingdom. But first, we need to have God's view of this age. Romans 12, verse 2. And this is for all of us. But I, in particular, would like to draw the attention of the younger saints, teenagers, young adults, because it's in my heart very much. I don't want to see you just drift and become part of this generation and waste your whole life and nullify your spiritual life and have to participate in the judgment of the hour of trial. I love you. I don't want to see this happen. So Paul said in Romans 12 too, do not be fashioned according to this age. Fashioned is to be shaped. It's to assimilate all the present thoughts and concepts of the age. So I'm going to be just straightforwardly as old-fashioned as they come. God said, let us make man in our image. Male and female, he created them. Male, female. In this age? Oh, watch your pronouns. Watch your pronouns. You apply to the UC system. There's not just two choices of gender. There may be a few dozen. 
One document I researched said there are 70. Where does this come from? What kind of mind comes out with this? Now just to insert this, if there's a dear person who truly is struggling inwardly with a gender issue, then we would love that one, respect that one, honor that one, care for that one. But a principal of one elementary school on the parents' night, he just said, welcome, yesterday I was a she, today I'm a he. Well, excuse me, Mr. Principal, I was born a he, I was a he when I was four, I was a he when I was 44, and I'm in my late 70s, and I'm still a he. I know this is contrary to this age. But the enemy is targeting the minds of our young people and the young adults to fashion their thinking according to this age. And Paul said, do not be fashioned according to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So this is the choice. This will happen to all of our young people, all of our children, when they grew up and on their own. This will be the two choices. Either fashioned according to this age, and you will be the same in your value system. You will not stand up to it. You will not be an anti-testimony to it. You will be part of this age. Or they will take the way of being transformed by the renewing of the mind. And the issue is that you may prove what the will of God is. And according to the context of Romans 12, the will of God is the church as the body of Christ. Then in Galatians 1.4, Paul says in verses 3 and 4, <clears throat> Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might rescue us out of the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Here it doesn't say, he gave himself for our sins, that we might be saved from the lake of fire. Here he doesn't say, he gave himself for our sins, that we might have eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth. He said he gave himself for our sins to rescue us out of the present evil age. That's what it cost the Son of God. Then it says, according to the will of our God and Father. So in the context of Galatians, the present evil age, in particular, refers to the religious aspect of the age. But according to the Greek, it is also inclusive. It's a present evil age. And I don't know what your assessment is. I observe the national situation and the world situation from an apolitical divine view. I am altogether apolitical. God is not a Republican. God is not a socialist. God is not a Democrat. If you want to give God a title, he's a theocrat. He will eventually reign directly in the kingdom. And I believe it's accurate to say 
in the last eight or ten years, the United States has undergone incredible degradation. Just incredible. So the Supreme Court, I know technically those who study physics, uh, civics would say this is a mistake. The Supreme Court enacted a law about marriage. They redefined marriage. So this is now the law. I'm not going to be a, a crusader against that. I'm not going to organize protests against that. That's the law. If I meet people who have this kind of legal marriage, I'm not going to condemn them. But you will never change my view of marriage. I will never agree with this. I will never teach it. I will never allow it to be practiced in the church life. And once again, the present evil age is versus the will of God. And the will of God is to have the church as the body of Christ. Then one other reference with a striking contrast is in 2 Timothy. Earlier in his epistles, Paul referred to a co-worker named Demas. Demas was a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. What a privilege. But now the Apostle Paul is in prison for the second time under a death penalty. And this is what Paul said of Demas. Demas has abandoned me, having loved the present age. He loved the present age. He was a co-worker. But Paul had the discernment. He was my co-worker. He was useful in so many things. But when the test came, he loved the present age. This is a fact. And so when I read a verse like this, I'm not here pointing my finger at Demas. I want to bring this word to the Lord and say, Lord, have mercy on me. And please put me, save me from verse 10. And put me into verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will recompense me in that day not only me, but also all those who have loved his appearing. So here's the contrast. Love the present age or love his appearing. I realize that certain things I will say within the next half an hour, I believe they will be accepted but I believe and I respect and understand the young people may say or think something like this. Brother Ron, you are what I consider an elderly person. And numerically, I am an elderly person. You ask a 
gerontologist, he will say, men of my age are an elderly person. He doesn't know. I'm getting newer and younger every day. <laughs> but physically and chronologically, you know, my birth date hasn't changed. So they may say in their heart, Brother Ron, you got to live your whole human life. You got to be married. You had children. You got to be a grandpa. Here, we're just preparing to live. We're not really living yet. And you're telling us not to love this present age. And this means, are you indicating to me that I might not ever get middle age? I might not ever have a family. I might not ever be a grandpa. Well, when this age ends, not everyone is going to be my age. And the Lord needs to place in all of us a love for his appearing. See, he knows our heart. And he knows our heart not to judge us, but to minister to us and to purify us. He knows that many times when we sing about the Lord's coming or we say, come Lord Jesus, we're saying, come Lord Jesus, but not yet. Okay? I really want you to come. But let me experience this. Let me experience that. Then after I've lived my human life to the full and I'm in my 90s, then I will say, I really want you to come. But we need, if we are to be saved from this present evil age, we need to recognize the capacity to love this present age. I still remember, this goes back to about 1976 or 7. This was a, a daughter, one of two daughters and four sons of a brother and sister in the church. She was not a church kid in the sense of being born, but she came in to the church life with her family as a little girl. Now she's about 17. She is unusually beautiful. And of course, the object of the pursuit of many boys in high school. Then she told us of her decision. She said, I choose to take the way of this world, even though I know I will be saved through fire. So now, She's in her middle or late 50s. This shows the capacity. <clears throat> what any saint can do, we all have the potential to do. None of us is superior. None of us is inferior. If a brother can do that, Brother Need trains us. If you want to restore someone who has fallen, you first need to repent of that capacity that's in you. You're not better than that person was. And Paul says in Galatians, if you restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, bless you also be, bless you also stumble. 
And so there's a choice that can only be made by every believer who has a a will of their own. What kind of love will you end up with? If it's the love of the present age, when the test comes, you will leave the ministry, you will leave the Lord's recovery, you will leave the church life because you love the present age. You're not going to, in any way, make this kind of sacrifice. And then there are those who love the Lord's appearing. There's a difference between loving the Lord and loving the Lord's appearing. So I illustrate this actually didn't happen, but it could have happened. That in Anaheim, the post office that I went to for many years was right next to a theater for movies. And the trainees have 24 hours off, and they can do certain human things that are productive, but they're not allowed to go to see a movie at a theater on Monday. But sometimes trainees are naughty, and so if they're naughty, then we just have to take care of them and their naughtiness with righteousness and love. So let's suppose on a Monday, it's now 4 p.m., I'm coming out of the post office, and a group of trainees are coming out of the theater. And I see them, and they see me seeing them. Okay? Now, I believe I can say of these dear trainees, you love me. They would say, Brother Ron, we love you, and we will love you tonight after 7 o'clock in the training center. (laughs) But we don't love your appearing. You're appearing. Why did you have to appear right at this time? So now we turn to the matter of the generation, which is really almost synonymous with the age. And I'd like to read to you uh, a cluster of verses from Luke, then a verse from Acts and Philippians, point out what these verses are referring to, and then conclude most positively with the unique way for us to be rescued from this present evil age, to be saved from the crooked and perverted generation, and to be ushered into the kingdom. It's all part of one thing. If we are involved together in one thing, we will be saved and we will be transferred into the manifestation of the kingdom. So I'm turning now to Luke 17. And Jesus is speaking himself directly about the end of this age. Verses 26 to 30. And even as it happened in the days of Noah so will it be also in the days of the Son of Man. So Noah, full of lawlessness, that age, 
violence, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day in which Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. This will be that way. The end is coming. Even we're clear about the 70th week of Daniel. We're clear about the world situation. We're told in 2 Peter that Moses was a herald of righteousness. He proclaimed righteousness to those people. What would happen in San Francisco if there was a powerful proclamation of the righteousness of God to the whole city? One of the most lawless cities on the earth. People go on as if it will never end because they don't believe there will be an end. Eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage. Then verse 38, likewise, even as it happened in the days of Lot. But listen to what is mentioned and what is not mentioned from the time of Noah. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. Why no mention of they were marrying or being given in marriage? It's Sodom. They're beyond that now. And as it was in the, in, the day, in the days of Lot, it will be this way at the end of this age. We have not reached the lowest yet. California is the most degraded state in this country. And the degradation that originates here will spread eventually throughout the country. Who knows what next is happening? But on the day in which Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be the same way on the day in which the Son of Man is revealed. So I pause reading there. I very much appreciate these verses. Because the Lord gives us an honest word about the generation in which we're living and what it's going to be like. And we are not called upon to be social reformers, to try to crusade for this and that. We're called upon to do something else. As it was in the days of Noah. As it was in the days of Lot so will it be in the days when the Son of Man is manifested. It will be like we're all living in Sodom or we're all living in the environment of Noah. Then in Acts 2.40, 
Peter has just released the first gospel message. And 3,000 responded and believed and were baptized. And then this is what he said. Verse 37 and following. What should we do, brothers? And Peter said to them, repent. And each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For to you is the promise and to your children and to all those who are afar off, as many as our Lord our God calls to them, calls to himself, then this is the verse, verse 40. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this crooked generation. Be saved from this crooked generation. Two weeks ago tonight, in a much simpler way, suitable for our young people in North Orange County from 12 to about 17, I gave them such a word. Will you live for God's eternal purpose? Will you see the need to be saved from this generation? And these two things go together. If we want to live for God's eternal purpose, in this present age, we must be saved from this generation. Likewise, if we would be saved, if we want to be saved from this generation, we must live for God's eternal purpose to build up the church. So right in the very beginning, they just, they just got saved and were baptized. They just entered into the church life. The Lord Peter solemnly testified and exhorted them Be saved from this crooked generation. It's one thing to be saved eternally. That is irreversible. Once you're regenerated, you can't be unborn. You can't be deborn. This depends on what kind of child of God you will be. Our eternal destiny is set. We have eternal life. We will be in the new Jerusalem. We will be part of the wife of the redeeming God. The question is, will our life in this age contribute to the carrying out of God's eternal purpose or not? If it does, then we will be designated as overcomers by the Son of Man and enter the wedding feast, the joy of the Lord, and reign with him for a thousand years. If not, if we love the present age, if we're fashioned according to this age, if we're not rescued from this age, we will perish with this age. Because we're part of it. We're not one with Noah. We're not listening to Noah's preaching of righteousness. We will not go with Lot out of Sodom. We're going to stay here. We like it here. Then the other verse, 
is, set, is Philippians 2.15. And this is related to our living as a living testimony in this present evil age. And I'd like to read the preceding verses. I'm going up to verse 15 and 16. So then, my beloved, even as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's a kind of salvation we still need. It's not just salvation in life. It's not eternal salvation. It's a salvation from this generation. For it is God who, is, who operates in you, both the willing and the working of his good pleasure. If we make the choice to be saved, God will operate in us, both the willing, even if you have to say honestly, Lord, I can't will it. He says, I know, I understand. I am for you. If you just open to me, I will work in you the willing to go this way. And then I will work it out. Then verse 15, I skip 14, that you may be blameless and guileless, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine as luminaries in the world. And this is what the Lord wants to have. We're in the Bay Area. The vast majority of us need to work. We know from the pattern of Daniel, it's honorable to advance in our line of employment. Daniel is at the highest level of the government. But as I pointed out last night, when he was about to be put into the lion's den, the king addressed him, Daniel, servant of the living God. Daniel, the God whom you serve continually. So even though his full-time job was high in government service, intrinsically, he was living for Jerusalem. He was living for the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy for the return. He prayed for Jerusalem, but it wasn't his portion to return. So the Lord is not going to pluck us out of our jobs, of our responsibilities. But it says here that you may be blameless and guileless children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation. So you work for Google. You know what is behind Google? The mind of Satan is behind Google. The mind of Satan is behind Facebook. The mind of Satan is behind every aspect of the world system. John said this in 1 John 5, the whole world lies in the evil one. So whether it's education or medicine, whatever it is, we have to realize we are in the world. We're not part of the world. And what God wants is that we shine. You may not be able to say too much. You are doing your job faithfully. 
and honorably. But while you're doing it, you're shining. And certain people you're kind of friends with. You have coffee together, you have lunch together. You're shining. Eventually, you're going to be able to say something. What I'm living for. This is my job. I'm thankful for this job. I want to excel in what I do. And I want to work well with my team. But what I'm living for, I'm living for God's eternal purpose. And I'm in this age along with you, but I'm not part of it. I'm part of a city set on a hill, shining bright. Now, for the concluding part. We go back to Noah. And some of the most powerful ministry that Brother Lee released concerns Noah characterized by a life and a work that turned the age. The age is going to end. And whenever the Lord wants to make a great turn, we call it a dispensational turn, he needs to have an instrument, a means by which he does this. And the turn from the age of the church to the age of the kingdom will be the greatest dispensational turn the earth has ever seen. It will be preceded by the travail of the great tribulation. The great tribulation is likened to the travail of a woman giving birth. A new age will be born. So we need to look at Noah as we're finishing this up. What was he commissioned to do? He was commissioned to build an ark. And I'd like to read something I have printed out here. Instead of speaking just freely, I want to present it very accurately from what I have typed out. If we would be the corporate expression of Christ in the church life, we need to be today's family of Noah. Building the corporate Christ as the ark that will deliver us from the crooked and perverted generation and usher us into the coming age of the kingdom of God. So Noah built the ark. I remember it was in 1976. There was a luncheon on a Thursday afternoon. Brother Lee wanted this. He wanted to meet with everyone that was serving the ministry in any practical way. Ushering for the meetings, typesetting, helping to clean the meeting hall. We were all there. We had a meal together, and then he shared two main things. The second I'll never forget. The first was to express his sincere appreciation for all of their practical service. He knew he could not carry out his ministry actually and practically without all this help. Then this is what he said. He said, I'm concerned for you all. Then this was his concern. He said he believed 
that during the 300 years Moses was laboring on the ark, some of his friends and neighbors might have said, come, we'll help you. We'll help you get some of the material. They, they helped. But when the time came, none of them entered the ark. And this is what he said to all of the serving ones, including me. He said, you may be like Noah's friends and neighbors, helping to build the ark, but you are not a part of what you are helping to build. In other words, he's telling everyone serving at Living Stream, you can be helping me, but you're not part of the building work that this ministry is engaged in. And that had a lasting effect on me. And when things affect me like this, I've learned to pray very simply for the Lord's mercy. Or just have mercy on me. I could be like that. I could end up like that. Have mercy on me that I would be a part of what you are building. So Noah's Ark, I read two other points, both typifies, it's a type, both of Christ personally and of the church as the corporate Christ. So I'm reading two other points as I'm finishing. The ark built by Noah is a type of Christ as God's salvation. The ark we are building today is the corporate Christ, the church, <clears throat> as our salvation from today's crooked, perverted, an evil generation. Let me reread that in case you're trying to take the note. The ark built by Noah is a type of Christ as the salvation. The ark that we are building today is the corporate Christ, the church, as our salvation from today's crooked, perverted, and evil generation. What can save us? Only one thing. The ark, the corporate Christ, the church life as the life of the body of Christ, the corporate Christ, the living together to build up the church, to build up the ark, to build up the body. And then the, the last point I have typed out. The church life is today's ark to terminate the present age and bring in God's kingdom. So as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. The generation will get worse and worse. The degradation will continue. The violence. Now there's the violation of humanity repudiating the way God created human beings, denying the gender difference. Now on a birth certificate, they're not going to list what they did for hundreds of years, male or female, physically this. And maybe sometime later you'll decide inwardly whether you are the gender that matches your anatomy. This is satanic. And it's going to only get worse. 
And Peter said, be saved from this crooked and perverted generation. And we saw from the the case of Demas, when it comes down to it, there are certain things of this age we love, we enjoy. We're not about to give. What, What would happen to a high school student in the church, 17 years old, if his parents said, because of your misuse of your smartphone, you cannot have it for one month. They may not know how to be. They hardly know how to talk to a person directly. You're sitting at a table together and you text each other or whatever else you do. I'm way behind. I'm glad to be way behind. So the church, life is today's ark. And no one as the end of the age comes, is going to be able to say, oh, 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 look, look, I repent. I want to be in the ark. You can't be built into the church in one evening because now you are desperate. You have to grow into this. You have to grow in life, be saved in life. You need to be transformed. You need to be blended. You need to be perfected in keeping the oneness You need to learn how to coordinate. We are learning all these things in the church life. So regarding living for God's eternal purpose and being saved from this crooked and perverted generation, the only way that we can do these two things, which are one thing, is to give ourselves to the Lord, to love him, to pursue him in the context of the church life, realizing his goal is to build up the church as the ark, the corporate Christ, the reality of the body of Christ. You see, the word consummation, he's with us to the consummation of the age, means that there is a process that is being brought to completion or fulfillment. So the age, spiritually speaking, will consummate when the process of building up the church has been completed by the faithful saints in the local churches. That completion will match the Lord's arrangement of the world situation according to the prophecy. But his focus is on the process of building up the church as the corporate Christ, the ark. As he sees this development taking place, then he may decide, now is the time to rearrange the situation in Europe. Now is the time to clear the the temple mount. This he can do so easily. But eventually the two things will come together after Israel makes this covenant. And those that are alive will know we have three and a half years. Then the first fruits will be raptured. The Antichrist will demand to be worshipped. The great tribulation will begin because this is the consummation of the age. The Lord will be with us unto, until the consummation of the age. And I 
I hope it's okay to mention this. I just had some very precious fellowship with Brother Gary. Uh, after our lunch, all of us brothers together. And he's older than I, but we just could echo something deep in our being as brothers who are not young. We still have in our being the living hope of living on the earth to the end with you all and then being raptured among the first fruits to go to the throne to satisfy the Lord. So that's a personal longing. I'm not one who speculates, tries to figure out, not even the year. We can't know the year until the 70th week starts. Then we can know the year. There is a verse in Amos, somewhere in chapter 3, which I find very comforting. And the Lord, in his way, will apply it through his ministry to the recovery. And that verse says, the Lord God will do nothing unless he reveals it to his servants, the prophets. So please don't kind of guess who's a prophet. That's not the point. The Lord is going to make known to us where we are in relation to the end of this age. I believe tonight's message is a small initial part of that. My beloved brothers and sisters, I say this before the Lord's shining face. We are nearing the end of this age. It could very well be brought to an end in the foreseeable future of the next several years, a decade or two. Again, I won't speculate. And the Lord is speaking this to us, not mainly to warn us, but to supply us and to prepare us so that on our part, we will be living for God's eternal purpose and we will be saved from this crooked and perverted generation. But even more important, on God's part, we will consummate the process that has been going on for nearly 2,000 years we will actually build up the church as the body of Christ. The Lord will look down and say, it is sufficient. The faithful ones have done this sufficiently. The bride is ready. I'm coming for you as the day star. Watch for me. I'm coming for you. Then in three and a half years, I'm coming with you as the son of righteousness, to deal with the enemy, to abolish human government, and to manifest the kingdom all over the earth. Body, bride, army, stone, kingdom. So I believe I release the burden. May the Lord enlighten us so that as we are living our human life, in all of its circumstances, inwardly, we're living for God's eternal purpose. And in actually and practically, we're living an ark-building church life. So when all the local churches all over the earth were building up the corporate Christ, the ark, 
And then we will enter into this corporate Christ. It will save us from this generation and usher us into the manifestation of the kingdom. May the will of the Lord be done. And may the kingdom of God soon come. Lord Jesus, I say this sincerely. Come, Lord Jesus.